0: I didn't grow up going to Shul. You know, I don't have those same memories of how to daven, what it feels like, what those words are. So if I'm at home with my kids, I can't give over the same thing as a person who went to Shul for 20-something years and then stayed home for a few years. And they can daven properly with their children or tell them, when you go to Shul, this is what you do at this time. I don't have those skills.
1: (laughs) Hello there. I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Dara, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. If you are listening to this and have not yet followed the podcast wherever you listen, go ahead and click that follow button so you don't miss a single episode. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. And if you haven't yet, leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, it takes a second to leave us a rating. It takes about 30 seconds to leave a review. It helps other people find the podcast. It means a lot. So go ahead Hit the follow button, give us a rating. Thank you so much for being here, and thanks for listening. In today's episode, we have Rivka Gillis speaking about her journey to religious integration. Rivka grew up in a secular environment, was drawn to Judaism at a young age, and now, as a mother of three children living a life connected to Torah and mitzvot, is exploring what it means to truly integrate the spiritual ideas she learned when she was becoming from into the practical elements of her daily life. Born of This Quest is her and her husband's organization, the BT Center, where they are creating a community for people who found Judaism later in life and providing them with resources and mentors Their new podcast, Shuva Full Circle, Bal Teshuva Integration, explores common struggles and questions that come up as people learn to integrate Jewish spirituality into their life in a grounded way. Check out their podcast. I'll put the links in the show notes. Today, Rivka is going to share her own personal integration, what it has looked like for her to bring her full self to the table as a religious person and how she navigates staying inspired during the grind of everyday life. I want you to start just by sharing your name and telling us a little bit about yourself and about who you are.
0: Okay, so I guess it depends who I'm talking to, and then I tell them a different name. <laughs> but my whole name is Rifka Alexandra Gillis. For most of the people who know me in my adult form, I go by Rifka for my family and friends that I still have from when I was younger. I go by Alex, Allie, Alexandra. Sometimes I feel like I'm living two lives in between that, but most of the time I find a way to integrate the two. That's probably more of an introduction than I should have given.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Your name holds all the truths about who
0: you are. (laughs) (laughs) So... I live here in New Haven with my husband and my three beautiful, very energetic children. I work in Cheder, which I love. I work in preschool, kindergarten and preschool, and just trying to find a way to, as you put in the title of your podcast, be both human and holy. Some days more human, some days more holy.
1: <laughs> okay. I feel like in the way you've said your name, you already led me to wanting to ask this question. What is the story of Alexander becoming Rivka, Rivka Alexander becoming one identity? What was your journey to where you are
0: right now, living in New Haven, teaching in the Cheder, striving for the human and holy in your life? So I grew up in Manhattan. My family moved to Long Island and there were little moments along the way when I felt that Yiddishkeit was calling to Ali or Alex or Alexandra, however I was going by. And I had some of those magical Balchuva moments growing up, and other times I had more of the normal things. When I was pretty young, I guess I was probably 12 or 13, I attended a bas mitzvah for the daughter of a close family friend, and that was the first time I was in shul, and the first time I had really experienced any form of davening. And I just remember feeling this deep sense of, I'm home, I'm where I belong. And, you know, this is like a middle schooler. and little by little, I started exploring the town that my parents moved to after we lived in Manhattan as a summer town. So during the year, there's 5,000 people and like five Jews. And in the summer, all of a sudden, all of New York City is there and spread across the other Hamptons. And I got very, very lucky, I would say blessed, that one of the families that was helping to run the shoal, which was not, you know, officially Orthodox then. Was this cute little Five Towns mother-daughter duo who took me in and let me volunteer in the Hebrew school, and then afterwards they would teach me Aleph, Beis, and Shema and basic little things. You know, so I'm like this middle schooler sitting in volunteering with kids my brother's age who are, you know, early elementary school, and I'm helping them, but really at the same time I'm at the same level as these five, six, seven year olds, and you know. Went through high school. I went to a boarding school in Connecticut, which was a very not Jewish environment. But while I was there, while I had an amazing education, I definitely experienced this feeling of a person needs to fight for their Judaism because you can be surrounded in this ocean of beauty and interesting ideas and people and cultures, but you can really feel that you're different. I you didn't really know much and. Obviously, there was internet back then, but nothing like what people have today and all the different people on Instagram explaining what Judaism is, traditional Judaism. And I I wish I had had that back then. I wouldn't have found myself davening in my dorm room on these little papers that said Shema. And I thought like, oh, what's the holy way to do this? And trying to come up with all these Mm -hmm. funny ways to daven. But I'll just fast forward a little bit. My first semester in college. I was invited to go on birthright. And by invited, I mean, I was hounded by the girl running the birthright trip who really (laughs) wanted to go to Israel for free. And if it wasn't for her, I would never have been able to sign up. And I went on the trip and met my Chabad Shliach there, Rabbi Eli Gurevich of Bryn Mawr and Haverford College. And I had that that quintessential Kotel Kaisel moment where I walked up and I touched the wall and I felt like I saw my whole life in front of me. From that moment on, everything started changing and I started taking on things here and there and making my rabbit sin like me <laughs> and slowly becoming one of her friends and hanging out in the Chabad house all the time, trying to learn whatever I could. One summer I went on links, which it doesn't exist anymore. They changed it. It used to be you would go to Israel and learn for half of the day and travel for half of the day. And that was an incredible experience with Rabbi Salman and Yehudis blooming and the Whitkiss family from Jerusalem. A year or so later, I went on snorkeling study with Rivka and Rabbi Manus Friedman. I got to experience Machon Alta one summer, Maya Not after I graduated, and then also Machon L'Yihadis. So I really had the run of all the different seminaries, and I was very blessed that I didn't spend too much time in each place. So when I look back on the memories, I feel like it's mostly highlights, and I really, really gained so much and just loved all my different experiences there. Mm. After Israel, I moved to Crown Heights and I was inundated with real people behind the black Mm. cats and the beautiful Sneas outfits. I just, it was an absolute culture shock. You know, you come from this picturesque view of, oh, they're so holy and perfect and nice. And you're like, oh my gosh, why is it that a lady yelling at me? Because I didn't give her enough money this time, you know, (laughs) like you're really, your eyes are open like, oh, they're people too. You just didn't realize that because you never really met them. (laughs) When I was in Crown Heights, I was lucky that I found a community called Living Hasidus run by Rabbi Sharon and Michal Weiss. And at that time, it was a lot of girls who had come out of my note in Mahalata. So we were this like fun group of BTs learning and having Shabbos meals together. And just it kept the spirit of seminary alive. And it gave us a community and an oasis in, in Crown Heights where a person could otherwise get very, very lost and after about months in Crown Heights, my husband and I started dating. That's a par version of our story, but <laughs> he was in my note when I was in my note. We just never met because they situated the schools on opposite sides of the city and had our breaks at different times, so nobody really met. We started dating. A few weeks later, we got engaged, and a few weeks later, we got married, and we ended up in New Haven. <laughs> We've just been rolling along ever since. <laughs>
1: The way you said that, I'm like, those are cliff notes. I want to zoom in on that moment. You sped through that.
0: Well, I feel like I have to, just because it's an amazing thing. Whenever you ask, you know, a BT or someone who converted what their story is, you see it in their eyes that they're just transported. We've tried a few mm. times uh, you know, on our podcast or just talking to people. What's your story in, in a nutshell? There's no nutshell to a person's story. They will not sit there for 20 minutes, a half an hour, telling you all these little, those little minutia. And to Mm. them, those moments were the real turning points. Yeah. And to another person, they're like, why are you telling me about when you were waiting on the water fountain and you finally made a bracha for the first time? Like, what does that mean to me in the course of this hour long story? But to them, or whatever Mm. example, it has real significance.
1: Yeah. That's such a good point. And also how like the pivots in our lives... Are often connected to moments that seem insignificant from the outside lens.
0: Exactly. Yeah. One of the first real pieces of Hasidus that I learned when I was in my note was Adam Kiyak Mikem. In my note, you got to wake up early for the privilege of going to Hasidus class with Rabbi Levinger. And it, you know, whenever you hear people learning about it or it comes up in the podcast and I get to sit and listen versus actually opening up the safer, which maybe one day I'll mm-hmm. do that again. One of the things we were just speaking about was the idea that when you're transforming your animal soul, you're not supposed to get rid of it. You're not supposed to erase your personality. But instead, you need to take that part of you and find the small moments in life and elevate it. So. Mm. While a person could just travel from inspiration to inspiration, that might get them somewhere, but it's not really theirs. So they don't really own their connection to Hashem. But rather, if you take your inspiration and that feeling of a connection to Hashem and wake that feeling of being awake in both of your neshamas, and you really internalize it and you make it real, then that's your way that you're really transforming your animal soul and bringing it back to where it's supposed to be. You know, it was created mm. to have passion and warmth for mitzvahs and all the good things. But as it traveled down here, you know, it traveled so far that sometimes it could forget. But you wake it up and you put it back in the real place it's supposed to be. And using your personality, you don't have to erase yourself, but just turn your whole self towards Hashem. And then, you know, you're really living it. You're really being chassid, I hope. Mm.
1: So is the idea there that those moments of inspiration that you experience, that any person experiences, that brings them to a place where they want to be connected to their Yiddish guide in a deeper way, that is not enough to carry you throughout your life?
0: Exactly, yeah. As if you're just waiting for the next wave of inspiration, at a certain point, the responsibilities in life can start to bog you down. And if you don't have mm-hmm. something real inside of you, it's very hard to continue feeling that focus and the connection of, okay, yeah, I'm part of Hashem, I'm doing the right thing, and I feel a purpose and a meaning to what I'm doing, and a a fire, you don't want it to be cold, you want it to be, you know, passionate and really, really working in the right direction.
1: What has been that transition for you from that high of becoming a balas chuva, of just exploring your Yiddish guide in a really real way, to now being a mother of three children, like living a settled lifestyle, like you said, the culture shock of like, oh my God, from people are humans too. How have you found that real part of you? How have you integrated that journey, that Kotel moment into your daily life?
0: Ooh, I hope I bring it into my daily life. I mean, one thing based on what you're saying and just making me think about Being in touch with the transcendent part of yourself and the part of yourself that really wakes up and recognizes that Hashem is there and empowering yourself with that. One of the things with my children is I've taken Rabbi Shea Staub's parenting class and he talks about how it's such a great responsibility to be a parent and how children are so pure and they're really the most connected to Hashem. And sometimes, obviously, it's very easy to walk into your children's room when they're quiet and asleep and peaceful and to look and be like, yes, I see it. Oh, this is so wonderful. But at 6.45 at night, it's a little bit harder to feel that and be like, <laughs> I sat in seminary and I woke up early and I did all these things to be yelled at by a three-year-old. <laughs> what? This doesn't make sense. But one thing for me is working in Geder. I don't know if that's the typical response, but I love being in an environment with people who are really connected and focused and they just truly live it. like Just a part of them to feel the highest of being connected to the Rebbe and seeing what they're doing in terms of living a life of Taira and Mitzvah. And I learned so much from that and I learned so much from working with children every day. I really, really do. I hope my own children are gaining from me being in school and coming home a little bit tired, but a much better mother and person as a result. But I think for me, spending time with these pure neshamas and seeing how excited they are to learn about Taira and mitzvahs and to really do it. And they're like, look, Mara, I did this. That's like what we learned there. I'm like, whoa, yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. You made that really real. I want to find a way for myself to do that same thing and feel that same energy and excitement. Are you able to access that on a daily basis? I find that if I'm learning, that helps me a lot to integrate the energy and excitement. And I think also trying to find the moments when I can do things with my children that make me feel like I'm being not a textbook Hasidic mother that like all of us BTs want to strive to be like, but finding a way to really live it when we're sitting there doing something special for Rosh Chaydesh or, you know, I'm just sitting in it spending time with them and explaining something to them that ties into something I've learned in the past. I'm not telling them some deep idea, but when you realize you can translate something from the deep to the simple, mm. I feel for myself like, "Oh wow, I actually did internalize that. I really am living it because it just came out of me naturally. I didn't have to go look it up somewhere or force it. I've really taken mm-hmm. this idea and I can explain it to my own children and I can feel it around them then I feel proud that, wow, that was really true. And that energizes me to keep going. Like, let me learn some more. Let me try and tap into that energy and that focus. So, you know, my friend Michal Weiss calls them Hashem glasses. Like, you put your Hashem glasses on and you can really tap into that. And in the day-to-day, when it gets stressful, then you know that you're really with it. And you really, you know, for mm-hmm. me personally, that empowers me.
1: Oh, I love that. Like, if you can distill it for your children, then it gives you this feeling of integration. Like, this is something that I've made p- part of my life that I could explain in such simple terms, like it's so much a part of me. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And for them, they're getting it at a much younger age. I'm raising FFBs. I mean, I hope so. I hope I do a good job. And I think that's just so special. For them, it will be a part of them because they're learning it so young. But as an adult, you know, like water on the rock, if you just keep Mm. thinking it and trying, and especially the things that you don't connect to as easily or that are struggles for you personality wise, but you know in Chasidis it can help you. When you tap into that, like, oh my gosh, you feel like you've climbed a mountain.
1: Mm. So you and your husband started a podcast called Shuva Full Circle, to Shuva Integration. And so much of your own journey and internal process has clearly led you here. Just that term integration, which you are discussing and what has moved you and what you're striving for in your life. Can you share with us a little bit about the goal of the podcast, why you started the podcast, and how it aligns with your own personal journey as Zabal Chuva?
0: So we did not go about this thinking like, this is the thing that everybody needs. We went about it thinking, wait, why didn't we have this when we were younger? We would have loved a resource with all these experts just talking about the BT process and giving advice. The starting point for the podcast actually happened this summer. My husband was having a conversation with a friend of his and Shul and his friend turned to him and said, you're a BT. What? I didn't even know that. And then they started doing, you know, laughing about certain funny BT moments that they saw people growing up with. And then it led to a serious conversation of, you know, there's some people who are struggling, who haven't fully integrated into the from world and into their community. And Why isn't there a place they can go to help them? So that's really why we started. Like, well, if it doesn't exist, let's start it. And then who knows where it's going to go from there. And one of the amazing things was when my husband first said this idea, I was like, okay, great, good luck. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're going to do it together. (laughs) I'm like, but it's not my idea. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, it's not my (laughs) idea. It's your idea. I'll support you. Go for it. That's wonderful. And he's like, just think about it. So this was an L.O. this conversation. And during mm-hmm. Tishrei, I was talking with different friends. And I found that all of a sudden, my lens was just on BT. It wasn't a thing I thought of for a long time because you try so hard just to fit in. I mean, maybe not everybody, but I know for me, I was like, okay, this is how people act. This is how they talk. This is how fiery Yiddishkeit really looks like with people. Maybe a little bit less fiery, tone it down a bit. And you just wanna, mm-hmm. you want to be normal and part of it. And i I don't think everybody has that. Some people are still struggling to find that. But once that perspective came back into my mind, all of a sudden, I started looking at different things on a day-to-day basis. Like I guess I could use real examples. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah, I was looking around my house, you know, right after dinner, and it looks like a tornado. And I thought to myself, a part of me just says, "Oh, that's just part and parcel of having a big family and being from is there's a little bit more mess." And I said, "Wait, is that actually part of being from? Is this dysfunction?" That's like a very small example, but for me, it means a lot. Or thinking yeah. about going to Shul. I don't really go to Shul on Shabbos because that's my time at home. I'm in Hedir the whole week. I'm connecting. And on Shabbos, I like to just be at home, be with my kids, have a little time to myself and not have to put my Shetel on. That's also a little something. Yeah. And I realized I didn't grow up going to Shul. If I had a couple of years where I was going to Shul all the time, I don't have those same memories of how to daven, what it feels like, what those words are. So if I'm at home with my kids, I can't give over the same thing as a person who went to Shoal for 20-something years and then stayed home for a few years. And they can daven properly with their children or tell them, when you go to Shoal, this is what you do at this time. I don't have those skills. I mean, I could build them. I'm an adult. I could figure it out. But I know I don't have it. So I thought to myself, wait a second, that's also something. So then when I finally realized, like, wait a second, if you know I have things to work on, my friends are always talking about what they're working on okay, I'll join the podcast. Let's do this together. And it's not us giving advice. We have minimal advice to give. It's us asking the questions that we think other people are also asking themselves or asking their friends. And on the one hand, finding experts who have worked with many Balichuva who can give that advice based on what they've seen. And then asking older Balichuva themselves, you know, what did you learn along the way? Please tell us, share us with your knowledge. So Either we don't make the same mistakes, if that's what they want to say, or so that we can feel, okay, I'm doing the right thing and not always doubting ourselves and having this feeling of, I'm just doing it wrong because I didn't grow up with it. No, mm. you're just learning to be an adult. You're learning to be a parent for some people, God willing, and you're integrating the Judaism you learned as an adult and you connected to it and you felt become such an internal part of you and growing with it and maturing with it and not stagnating. That's the main thing. And also, not using the fact that you didn't grow up with it as an excuse and looking for dysfunction, finding the dysfunction and fixing it or continuing to make things better in your life and going along that path as a proud Ba'chufa and not using that as an excuse.
1: I love your mission. And first of all, I just have to say, having a messy house after dinner is part and parcel, by little kids. That's for (laughs) sure, right? That makes me (laughs) feel clear on that. Dinner is messy. Children are messy. <laughs> Unless you have like full-time cleaning help that's cleaning up as you feed the child.
0: <laughs> Sounds nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I love that you took this personal quest for integration, for figuring out how to integrate all these spiritual ideas that you wanted in your life into a really practical lifestyle, like how to daven properly, what it looks like to raise a Jewish family that might have more children than you were used to seeing growing up, etc. cetera. Something that comes up for me is I'm wondering, is the objective social integration or is it spiritual integration? Is it about the communal norms or is it about how to integrate and internalize spiritual ideas in a healthy way?
0: That's really the whole thing. What we're trying to do is, on the one hand, helping people with the external, making sure that they're part of their communities and functioning, helping them to raise their families in a healthy way and have healthy marriage. And then on the other hand, there's the spiritual side because the excitement and the passion was there and it was encouraged in Yeshiva and Seminary. It was definitely, definitely encouraged and they wanted us to have that. But then when you become an adult with a lot more responsibility, it's just natural to lose that. So we wanted to help on the spiritual side to help answer questions that we think are bothering people and also to provide some kind of a roadmap to say, here's how you go from point A to point B. And if you feel like you're doing something wrong, or you feel like you're having doubts, you should know that that's normal. That people who grow up religious also have doubts. That's just part of being human. And to try and provide encouragement with different speakers we have on, you know, we ask them things that are their specialty. And we want to just continue finding more people to speak about the spiritual side and to answer the difficult questions, you know, What if somebody had an unresolved issue that they always thought about with Yiddish Ka'i and they just pushed it down inside of themselves? It was a question they had from Yeshiva Seminary that was never properly answered or they were too scared to ask. And now they have a 13-year-old who is learning about something and it's that thing that bothers them and what are they going to do? For all these years, Mm. they've just pushed it down inside. You know, just like different things like that where we hope to provide a resource for other people and it'd just be great if other people also continue doing this. My one question is, how did people do this before? I know we're all busy mm. trying to not fit in in the sense of be cookie cutter and copycat everything, but to fit in in the sense of taking what you learn and just being a part of everybody, being a chassid and doing the things the way everybody else does in terms of like, this is the minog, this is a tradition, this is how we do it, and letting your kids feel normal and like they're part of the community and like you're not so different. But also we are actually different. Mm. And at some point you realize that and you're like, wait a second. How do I explain to my kids that it's okay that someone in the family doesn't wear a yarmulke and that their life is also special and your life is also special and just finding ways to answer the questions that you forgot you were going to encounter. Your family, I mean, for some people, your family accepted you and all your funny things that look really strange to the outside world. But now your kids are coming home singing all these songs and just talking about things that sound so foreign to the adults in your old life. To your kids, it's truth. And for you, it's beautiful to see them talking about it. Some people need guidance on that. So finding experts that can just help Mm. you in all the different parts of the BT adult experience.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's such a real transition. And I agree with you. Like when you came out with this podcast, I was like, why didn't this exist a long time ago? So, it's one of those things that I know it'll be helpful for so many people. And I think that we like to think of things in general as finished products, you know. I have arrived, like I've made the decision to become from, but really life is a journey and so that is also part of that journey.
0: There's really a, you realize there's a lot of work and it's just ongoing work. If you think you have arrived somewhere, enjoy it for a little while but at least for me personally, keep pushing forward because otherwise something's going to sneak up on you and you realize, oh, I was supposed to keep working on that and now it's catching up to me.
1: Yeah. And without generalizing your point, I think it's something that applies to every single person. Even though you are catering to people who have made the decision to become from later in life, I think that this journey applies to all people becoming adults and taking on adult responsibilities, and especially because a lot of our spiritual values take a lot of real physical effort and emotional capacity.
0: Yeah. I was starting to laugh because we joke to ourselves that it's all the FFBs are listening. <laughs> all the FFBs you know are it. listening. we are like, BTs, can you all start listening? Like, we made this yeah. for you. And everyone else was like, this is great. We love this. Yeah. We're like, okay, good. But like, could you pass it on to that one friend that you think <laughs> could use a little bit of help, you know?
1: <laughs> this is amazing life advice from all these different experts. Yes. I think it's because... There's certain unspoken things that even people in a religious community don't get to pick up on. You know, if their parents didn't talk about it or their teachers never explained it to them, there's so much. So yeah, you're doing a service for the people. I would love to hear if you'd be down to share where you personally are working on that integration. Going back to that mimer that you spoke about, where you talk about really bringing all parts of yourself into your divine service. What does that look like for you right now in your current stage of life? Where are you feeling that push and pull, and what does that
0: integration look like? So for me, I think I'm trying to work on all of it. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) I found that the first few years of married life and motherhood have been so beautiful, but also opened my eyes to so many things that I have to work on. You know, you walk into marriage thinking like, we did it, went to seminary, figured it out. Good. Perfect. Done. No. No, 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 no. Mm. There's definitely a lot to work on. But in terms of coming at it from the lens of chassades and of this mimer, is coming to realize that me as a person, that it's my personality, who I am, and the things I have to work on, by taking that and taking the long, short road of doing the work of really transforming those things for Hashem and not feeling like, ugh, I messed up again. I can't do it. I'm just done. But instead, every time I feel inspiration, and even when I don't, when I can lean into myself and say, okay, let me put one foot in front of the other and try and do things the best I can. At the moment, a lot of my feelings are in the lens of motherhood. You know, I'm exhausted at the end of the day and I have a child having a tantrum. Is it a good thing to yell at them? No. So taking the view of This child is part of Hashem, and I've been entrusted to take care of them. Okay, let's find this parenting moment and elevate it in the right way. Or let me take myself, this person, this Adam who comes from the earth, who's falling so far at this time of the day and could really do the wrong thing, and lift myself up and see how much higher I can go and how I can elevate this experience with my children and push myself forward. That's my main one, is because that's what I deal with all the time. Yeah. But when it's just me, myself, and I, Those couple of moments every day. It's trying to make time to actually learn whether that happens. It's hard to do, but to feel the draw towards holiness, Mm. towards the good things that inspired me and empowered me when I was spending time in ceremony, doing all of that, or even after ceremony when you come home from work and it's just you that you have to take care of, opening gitas and learning. Or nowadays, it could be turning on a podcast where there's like a really important idea that maybe I didn't get a chance to explore yet. And elevating those moments in my own home and lifting myself up and be like, wow, that was time well spent. And I feel so much better. And I feel like I'm connecting. Mm. That's where I'm at now. I mean, I'm curious how that's going to change in the future. A part of me has this dream of having my own day to myself where I just sit and learn all day. I don't even know if that's in my personality, but you know, when you feel like you're so thirsty, you're parched for for learning, you're parched for something that you're missing in your life. And you're like, what if I had all the hours in the day to just sit and learn? What would I be like? Part of me thinks maybe that would be amazing. The other part of me thinks, well, this is my shilchus now. Maybe I'm actually doing the right thing and I just have to push myself to find more moments to learn so that then I could integrate it to the real life that I'm actually doing day to day.
1: Mm. Yeah. I love the path that you're taking, that idea of taking a few minutes so that you actually have a drive to integrate godliness into your life because otherwise it's a, the drive runs dry. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, a big thing is the women's sitter that you have on your beautiful website. I happen to have I have two of them, actually. <laughs> I feel like Amazing. <laughs> I'm holding like a treasure box. I got the cheder, Mrs. Basia gifted all the teachers one. And then my group of friends from Living Hasidus found someone who could bring the sitter over from Eretz Yisrael and all of us got to choose our copy from whichever fit on the plane. And it was oh, mailed to nice. us. So for me, my inspiration in the morning is saying morning brachas from a beautiful sitter, And it, it does really make a difference. You know, that's yeah. one of those things where I feel like, at least for me, if I make a goal for myself and I actually attain it. I feel like, whoa, I've really made it. I'm doing really well. And so if I find aspects of Yiddishkeit to make small goals, I realize for me as a person, I have to take baby steps. And that's the only mm-hmm. way I can accomplish things, which that was a big thing that I learned also. you know, It takes time to accept certain parts of yourself. So saying brachas from my woman sitter every morning because it's so gorgeous. And I feel like, okay, I did that. I have not fallen from that. And then every day, every so often I make a new goal. And I give myself a timeline. I'm not saying I'm going to do it forever. I give myself a timeline. I'm going to try and do this goal for a certain amount of time. And I find it's really helpful for me.
1: Mm, I like that. Just giving yourself like measurable goals when it comes to integration. So it's not just like, I want to integrate all the inspiration into my daily life. It's like, here's a small way that I can. And here is how long I'll do it for. And I could measure whether or not I'm carrying through
0: with it. Exactly. And the more time you give yourself and the more little things you're doing, Eventually, they just become part of you. And Mm -hmm. so then when you go to add another thing on, it doesn't feel like you still have this laundry list of things that you're doing every day. It's already normal. Oh, of course, I'm going to say practice from the sitter. And of course, I'm going to do X, Y, Z thing because it's part of it. You don't even think about it anymore. So then when you set a new goal for yourself, you only have one goal because all those other things come naturally because you gently guided yourself into it and made it a part of yourself and your day-to-day life.
1: Mm. That's such a good point. Like it can stick because it's a slow process.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Something I'm wondering in relation to integration is were there any parts of yourself, any parts of your personality, any parts of your lifestyle, any of your talents, hobbies, interests that you felt like you had to leave behind in order to become from? And how has that shifted over the years as you've... Matured in your Yiddish guide and in your identity, and has that shifted for you?
0: (laughs) So, (laughs) I think part of my personality was perfect for being from. (laughs) (laughs) And that was something I had to work on to change because I found it was very easy for me to sit back and accept certain things like, okay, we do this because we're women, or okay, we dress like this, or okay, we don't push forward like this. I had these preconceived notions of. Uh, I feel like I'm about to get myself into dangerous waters here. I think my perspective of from women still came from this outside world's view of these quiet women who just accepted and went along with things or things like that. And That's fascinating. I realized that was my, my BT thing that I had to work on. No, you're a quiet person. It's not that from women are always quiet and idle and they sit back you're a quiet person. That's a part of your personality. But your Yiddishkeit and how you interact with the firm world does not have to be through that lens because that's actually, that's just not part of our life and what we're doing. Mm. So to your question, I didn't have to get rid of certain things, but there were things I actually had to work on so that I am living in the world in a healthy way, living in the firm world as a real person and not trying to follow this caricature of what I thought everybody was supposed to be like. I wish I had talents. I had to leave behind. No, I'm just. (laughs) I don't have a very talented Broadway (laughs) actress. I was not a marathon runner. (laughs) No, none of those. things. You could do that while you're from. You could do anything when
1: you're from. It's
0: true. You could. I mean, the only thing was I went to a very feminist college, and so every so often I start to go on some rant, and I take a deep breath. I'm like, "Mm, "Okay, this is not part of my life anymore. Some of this is." unhealthy and it just has to go. And then other things I realized like, okay, you can be a strong woman who accepts certain roles in life and you can be a strong woman who pushes forward and does things that are outside of the box and you can Mm. be from doing both of those things. Nice. Yeah. I hope I answered your question. I feel like I'm just rambling in my head.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was such a plot twist. And I think you expressed something so important that like you funneled a stereotype typical idea of what a from woman was that you had received from the outside world, like not from, from women themselves. And you believed that you had to adopt that. And it was almost like effortless for you because you could channel that into your quiet personality and tell yourself it was spiritual. So like being able to redefine Jewish femininity and what that meant for you and how you could express your personality within your Yiddish guide in a healthy way.
0: I wish you could just talk for me all the time. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> that's exactly what you said.
1: That's I'm going to type it all into heard. my
0: into my Tonya translator, and that's just what I'm going to talk from now on.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I loved it. I think that's so insightful, and I think a lot of us do that with different elements of our personality, so it's like so on point to hear you express it in that way. So thanks for that. Let's end off with advice for anyone and I don't want to be addressing only people who have made the decision to become closer to their Yiddish guide as adults or teenagers, but really anyone who is on this journey of integration, of trying to integrate the spiritual parts of themselves, the human parts of themselves, who's trying to find that healthy life within their Yiddish guide and to really discover, like, what does it actually mean to be a healthy from Jew And where am I getting mixed up with those two things? What would be your advice to them? I know you said you're not the advice giver, but I'd love to hear it.
0: I have to tap into my Tonya translator here. Okay, (laughs) let's see. I think my biggest advice is what my friend Michal Weiss from the Mechazadas would say. If you feel like you're questioning everything, and if you just feel like down and depressed, you have to stop and look at first the physical side. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you eating right? Are you drinking? Are you sleeping? address that because you are a person. And then on the holy side, are you learning or are you davening? What's a part of Yiddishkeit that you really connect to and it comes, both that it comes naturally to you and that if you even have just a minute or two of it, that it revives you and you feel like you were out in the desert and you got a cool drink and you feel brought in again. For me, that's learning. I just know that when I am spiraling in my head like, what is this and what is that? And they said this and I have to live like that. And this is crazy. Stop, listen to something, open something, try and learn something, and it will ground you and it will bring you back to the right place. Mm. That's advice for myself, and hopefully somebody can connect to that. But the other thing I would say is to know that this is normal. And I don't know if it's encouraged because I haven't learned enough, but Hashem knows that it's hard to see him everywhere. The world was designed that way. And if you're having a doubt, then Maybe try to look at it from the positive side that this doubt and this feeling of oh another thing to bring me down to actually stop and say, wait, this is going to lead me on my next journey. One of the things and I like to talk about a lot, but one of the things that Mrs. Basia Deitch, our fearless director, always says is when she thinks that something is there to be a challenge and to bring her down, that first she writes the Rebbe and she domines And she waits. And then all of a sudden, at some point, she realizes wait, the thing that was so challenging actually brought something even better into my life. Mm. And if you're able to, first of all, hold on to that, Amuna, but then, second of all, the moments when you do get to see that revealed to really, really enjoy them. I've had that a couple of times in school this year where I saw something, something was so hard. I was like, why? Why did this have to happen? I've been working so hard and now this happened. And then now, it just happened this week, honestly. I looked back and I was like, wow, that was great. Like that really hard part led to something even better and everyone's doing better and everything. It just feels actually much healthier because the problem showed itself and I fixed it. Mm. I mean, that's my advice for me, but I hope that applies to somebody. I'm really into like, find the thing that doesn't work. This is from my mother. Mm -hmm. Thank you, mom. Mm -hmm. If there are problems and it's occurring frequently, find a solution, find a structure and reorganize. And for myself, I, I, mean, I love to organize just physically my house. But also if something's not going right for me, I stop and I have to look back and say, okay, let's be proactive. Let's fix this and find a solution. And I'm telling you, if you're just looking to find someone to help you with all the Reba's writings, the solution is probably already there.
1: Mm. And I like how you said that when you experience the growth or the satisfaction or whatever it is that you gain from that challenge, enjoy it like actually revel in it and fully acknowledge that you're experiencing it because it's so easy to like revel in the suffering and to revel in the confusion and the challenge, but to be able to like revel in the growth that also happens as a result, I feel like that's big.
0: Yeah. And it's so, so sweet. You deserve it after all that hard work to just taste the fruits of your labor.
1: Yeah. There's one more thing that's just coming up in the way you answered the advice. When you said that when you feel like you are not jiving with something that someone is saying, et cetera. You tried to go back to the sources to learn something to ground you in your Yiddishkeit. I'm wondering for you, as a tshuva, and I know this is probably really personal, but how have you found that balance between really being anchored to what Torah and Hasidus says, and also being so open to learning from so many of your role models, like what does a Jewish home look like? What are customs while still being able to know that your role models are human and you can take it or leave it? What
0: is that process like for you? I think a big one is like you're saying, to recognize that everybody's human and they're just trying. So you can see certain moments that somebody's glowing and you know they just did something so well and you want to emulate that in your life and you go and try it and it doesn't work for you. <laughs> you're mm. like, wait a second. Like, how come that worked for them and that didn't work for me? Is that a BT thing? No. Mm. You can take the good that other people are doing. If this is your personality, some people don't like to take advice. They just want to figure it out themselves. Right. But for a person who likes to learn from others and to integrate that into their lives, to see how they're doing it and to know that it's not always perfect. You know, Sometimes you find you catch someone in a good movement. I think the other thing would be is if your mentors and where you're getting advice from If they are connected to the source, if they have a pure way of approaching things, then I think generally, once you take it into your own home and your own life, it should only lead to good things. You know, that's a big thing for me. You know, obviously, where most people are on social media and that's my relaxing break at the end of the night, but I feel very, very strongly that any idea that you're going to take from online and integrate it into your life to please check that, first of all, that's actually Judaism. It's actually from Tyra. And if you're Chabad and you try and live a life connected to the Rebbe's Chasidus, to make sure it's in line and it it's not antithetical to what we believe, and also then what's actually healthy for you. Mm. Those are two big things for me. Just one other thing. It's very hard for me not to like include in this way, but when we made the podcast, even though it's called Shuva, for a lot of people who convert at some point, you know, while that was their journey to Yiddishkeit, that's not their whole identity. So I know some people feel like, well, you converted and I was always Jewish and they have that pride. But we want everybody who came to Judaism as a young adult or whatever, or an older adult, a child even, to feel included. So while we're talking about BT is just under this umbrella, many of these experiences, anybody who learned about FromKite when they were older are also having. Mm. So I just wanted to say that, that when we're saying BT uh, uh, on our podcast, or just in general, that we're including all those people as well.
1: Yeah. And hopefully including all of us. Like you said, we want the downloads from the people we created this podcast for.
0: Oh, you're welcome to listen, but just <laughs> yeah. spread the word a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal.
1: I hear what you're saying. I mean, teshuvah takes on many forms. And I think that the work that you're doing, this integration that you're doing applies to every single person. And even though you're sharing it in your unique circumstances, everything that you shared resonated with me, applies to me. Even though I did have the experience of being brought up in a from lifestyle, I think that coming into adulthood is a process that we all experience and all of that navigation that you're describing, we're all doing. So it's been so wonderful to speak with you. I feel like you have a really unique way of approaching things and thinking about things. And I really enjoyed discussing. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed and learned so much from our conversation.
1: And everyone, listen to the podcast, Shuva Full Circle.
0: And share it with your BT friends. Yeah, exactly. That's the real call to action. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting a into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.